0: For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Nobody exemplifies spiritual revival like King Josiah. Once the Word of God got a hold of his heart, that man was on a mission to get rid of every sinful vice in the country. Let's join Pastor Ross now here in 2 Kings chapter 23 with the message entitled, Revival Fires. So we're closing in on the tragic end of Israel's occupation of the Promised Land. Uh, We're in the 6th century BC, so just to catch us up with some context. Now I say Israel... Uh, But more specifically, it's Judah. You'll remember the divided kingdom. I've got a map there. So uh, David was ruling a a united Israel. And then his son Solomon, because of his sinning, the Lord said, listen, uh, there's going to be a civil war. And that civil war lasted for hundreds of years where uh, Israel was divided. The the 10 northern tribes against the the two southern tribes Called Judah and Jerusalem's down here. Samaria's the capital in the north. And so, really, Second Kings is about the history from King David uh, all the way until the exile. And the word exile just means to be barred from your own country uh, because of punishment. And so, the exile, uh, the first exile here. Why don't we go to the chart of the kings, and then we'll dive into the text. Uh, So uh, it was David and then Solomon and then Solomon's son. And at the time of Solomon's son taking uh, the throne, then Jeroboam set up the golden calves and there was a civil war, set up the golden calves there in Bethel. And uh, then we have worked our way all the way down through these kings. There's like five family dynasties here, but these guys are all related to King David all the way down until Christ is born from his human ancestry side uh, through related to David. So we are at King Josiah, and uh, uh, the Lord promised them. So these guys are gone. The the north has been carried away. There is no more north. There's a remnant there, but the, the king of Assyria came in and took them all away and destroyed the place. So uh, that took 700 years from when they got out of Egypt. The Lord promised Israel, if you start acting like the Canaanites, who I dispossessed from the land, if you start acting like that, you're going to lose the promised land. And 700 years from Egypt, uh, um, Exodus, um, until Hoshea, it's 709 years. The Lord was that patient. So all of the the north is gone, and now we've got 136 years hanging on from Josiah, all right? So from Josiah, who is our subject tonight in 2 Kings 23, uh, from Josiah, we got about uh, 100 years or so, Uh, not quite. But after Josiah is dead, actually, and he's going to be laid to rest tonight, um, there are 23 years left until the end. And then Israel is gone for 2,530 years until May 14, 1948, when they are able to come back into their land. Of course, there's a remnant there, but it's just a tiny little remnant. So when Jesus is uh, born into the world, when God becomes a man through Christ, uh, there's just a remnant there. And, and they are occupied all through. And I'm just going to throw this in for free here. Here's a list of who occupied them. <laughs> all right, so the Assyrians come in, right? And They're the ones who are doing the damage now, then the Babylonians, but the Assyrians are in power. The next people to occupy the land called Israel will be Persia. And then Greece, Alexander the Great comes in around 300 BC. Then Rome, right about when Jesus is born. And Rome, quite a few hundred years. And then the Islamic State, and it actually is the very much like today uh, Islamic State. That's when the Dome of the Rock got built there in Jerusalem uh, in the 7th century. Um, Then the Turkish, which is also Islamic, The Ottoman Empire was ruling that area. And then Britain from 1923 on. And then in 1948, for some unknown reason, uh, they all got together on the board and said, you know what, Israel needs to be a nation. And they granted that. And the Bible says... In a prophecy, can a nation be born in one day? And the answer was yes. And so uh, what a privilege to be able to see in our lifetime. The cool thing was that even though, can you put the the chart of the kings back? Even though the Lord promised Israel, if you bite the hand that feeds, you're not going to be able to enjoy the promised land. You know, and that's true. You, you don't bite the hand that feeds unless you plan on being hungry. Uh, do you know what I'm saying? I'll try that again. You don't bite the hand that feeds unless, you know, you plan on being hungry for a little while. All right. I, it worked on paper. It was right there, and I thought it was hilarious. Okay, so all that to say, in the fine print, that's not so fine there. In Deuteronomy 4, where the Lord says, uh, if, you, if you disregard my laws, I'll take you and re- you'll, you'll forfeit the promised land. He says, but my unconditional love to you, I will regather you. And I will keep my end of the bargain and his end of the bargain is to save Israel. And just so you know, when he comes back at the end, he comes back to a converted Christian nation ...of Israel. And so that's what's prophesied in the Bible. So, let's dive in and we'll pick up where we are with King Josiah. There we go. So then the king, Josiah, because we're in the second chapter of talking about him. Then the king, Josiah, called together all the elders, the leaders of Judah, the southern kingdom, and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets... All the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant is another way of saying the Bible or the book, of the scroll of Deuteronomy in this case. So it's in the Old Testament. Uh, So he's reading the book of Deuteronomy, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar there in the temple and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in, in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. So we'll, we'll, we'll pause there. So first, uh, uh, if you're taking notes, number one is a rededication service. So uh, the context is that this good man, who was, there were only out of that list of 20 kings on, on Judah's side. Only eight of them were good. And he's the last of the eight. He's number eight. There's nobody good after Josiah. All right? And so Josiah was doing his best. He replaced his evil father, uh, Ammon, if you remember that. He was an idol worshiper. Um, he, he was a good man. He was seeking the Lord from his youth. He wanted to repair the temple. And, it, and when he was repairing the temple, they, they found a dust-laden scroll, a Bible, and they brought it to the king and said, as we were repairing the temple, this was last time we met, uh, we, uh, we found this book. Maybe you're interested in it. And he, and he read, and here's this good man who loves God and he's serving uh, to repair the temple. He reads the words of the Bible and he's, he's shocked to see how far he's fallen and how far the people had fallen. And it's very interesting because he was a good guy, basically, but the Bible gives you the details and helps you to see uh, just, just exactly uh, what God requires of us. Uh, so here in verse 2, it's no surprise that there, he's, he's called everybody together. He's read this, his heart is moved. He's like, hey, man, we got to get right with God or, or things aren't going to go well for us. And so he's, he's called the leaders together and the people, and they're going to have a worship service. It's called a rededication service. Let's get right. We've got the Bible now. We know what we're doing wrong. We know what God requires. Let's just pledge our, our lives and our hearts to serve God and do it right for a change instead of just uh, play acting. And it's not surprising that the word of God is at the center of it. Jeremiah called the word of God, he called it, he said it's like a hammer. Uh, David said it's like a lamp. Uh, Moses said it's like bread. Uh, The writer uh, of the book of Hebrews said it's like a sharp sword. Jesus called the word of God, he he said it's like seed. Uh, Paul said it was like a soapy bath for our souls. Uh, James called the word of God a mirror. And uh, I think this is what happened to Josiah. He took the mirror of the word and and it showed him uh, just how far off he was personally and the people that he was uh, ruling. So he tore his robes and called everybody together. So the things that I see here is that first it always begins with you. Everybody's always waiting for, and, and it's so easy to correct everybody around us. Hey, you need to get this right and this straightened out, but uh First, it has to be in your own heart. That's where it all starts, right? Uh, There's a marriage book out that's called Why Do I Have to Be the First to Change? You you know, because that's what we're all waiting for. We're waiting, well, as soon as he or as soon as she, and if he didn't, and if she didn't, yeah, you know what? It's going to be 25 years like that until somebody says, you know what? It's going to start right here. It's going to start right here. And it started with him. Then he gets the elders and he gets the people. And now they're going to have a time of spiritual revival. Okay, four through seven. So the king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest. Now, uh, he's the father of which prophet? No, I told you last time. Jeremiah, thank you. Whoever said that, meet me afterwards, you get a prize. (laughs) A hug from me. The king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, Jeremiah's dad, uh, the priests next in rank and the door keepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah. These are, their, are false gods from the Canaanites. And all the starry hosts, they worship the sun, moon, and stars. It, yeah, So they're backslidden, right? So he's gonna get rid of this stuff. He burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel, that's the site of where everything started to go bad with the golden calves. He did away with the pagan priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon, to the constellations, and to all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole just a. I'm sorry to say a pornographic thing that uh, was a sign that prostitution was uh, there available. Uh, From the temple of the Lord, that's where it was, to the Kidron Valley um, outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes, which were in the temple of the Lord and where the women did their weaving for Asherah, one of the false goddesses. Okay, so let's park there for a second. We had the hearing of the word of God and now we've got the doing of the word of God. Uh, So time for action. James in the New Testament says in chapter one, verse 22, don't deceive yourself and just be a listener of the word. That's the biggest way you can fool yourself. Oh, I know this, and I heard this, and I know this about the Bible. What matters is that you're a doer of the word. That's James chapter 1 and verse uh, 22. So the proof that anything is working of God in your life is by your behavior. Everybody can make all the claims that they want. But the proof of the matter is from the abundance of the heart, issues forth the life, a changed life, uh, a turning from the things that are defiling and sinful and unhelpful and uh, uh, the things of darkness. So that's how we prove it. I like what First John in the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 6 says. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. I like also what James says. He says he, he's talking to these folks and he writes there, in uh, the second chapter, verse 18, he says, you can say whatever you want about how you love the Lord. Show me, don't tell me about your faith. Show me by your actions. That's in James chapter two. Uh, and so Josiah and the leaders, uh, they something happened in Josiah's heart and in the leader's heart because of the action. You see them saying, all of these false idols, all of these things that we gave our affections to and bow down to the work of our hands and to these demonic powers, we're going we're gonna to pulverize them. We're going to turn from them. And so that's how you know when God is at work in somebody's life um, like this. I mean, uh, they start cleaning things up. Now, you don't clean things up to to, to earn God's love because we, we can't do that. Christ cleans us up by the, by the sacrifice on the cross. But if by faith you open your heart and you become cleansed by him, you bring your outward behavior by the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit into compliance with the reality within. The reality within is the Holy Spirit is in there, the word holy. So if if the Holy Spirit is in there, then what's coming out of the mouth and how you're living your life better be in somewhat of an alignment with him. Nobody's perfect but uh, you can see there's something happening. You can say, hey, what's gotten into that guy from his behavior, you see? And what has gotten into him is the word of God. And uh, that, that word of God is, is akin to salvation. Uh, so what do you see here? You see that he's burned the idols and they dumped the ashes in a place called the Kidron Valley. And you'll go, uh, when we go to Israel, we'll look, we'll tour right by that place because it's famous Because it's also called Gehenna. And it's Jesus' word for his nickname for hell. And it's where they used to offer, unfortunately, the children uh, to the god Molech. And uh, uh, that place was called Accursed. And they kept that place like a garbage dump. And it was always smoldering. And it was just a cursed place. And everybody kept their distance from it. Well, this is the place where he dumped all the defiled Idols and, and everything, and Jesus um, calls that place, uh, it's not a garbage dump anymore, but it is a vacant valley. And uh, Jesus says, that's a nice place, a way to think about, unfortunately, the place called hell. So uh, he take, in verse 4, he takes the ashes to Bethel. And that's just to denounce the, the original problem from 300 years ago when, it, when the original golden calves got set up to worship. So that's why he goes there. And then in verse 6, uh, interesting, what he's doing is he's taking the idols and, and he's tossing their ashes on gravesites because what happens is not to defile the grave, but to defile the idol. Because in Jewish law, anything that touches a dead body or a grave becomes unclean and you have to keep your distance from it. So the point here was not only am I going to break it into pieces, but I'm going to touch it to a grave so that nobody else will come and say, hey, now I'm going to use this. Oh, it's been it's been touched to a dead grave. Uh, to a coffin or to a tombstone. So that was the thinking. It was kind of adding insult to injury, kind of like not only can't you really worship because we've broken into pieces, but we also put a curse on it uh, kind of thinking there. Anyway, so they also got rid of the pagan priests. Now, not only when God is working in your life do you get rid of sinful stuff, but you get rid of sinful relationships. You see, you know, the drug dealer is not your friend anymore, you know, and the person who's stumbling you into sexual immorality, uh, those relationships and, and others like them, the list can go on for a long time. Uh, those, thing, those people, you have to deal with that. When God's doing a work in your life, you, your BFFs can't be people who walk in darkness and, and and lead you that way. So you see that kind of thing happening Uh, The bottom line here, oh, and then the male shrine prostitutes, unfortunately, I have to tell you that um, they were setting up the brothels. So he tore down the brothels, and they turned in the temple courtyards. There were brothels where you could go to worship, and they had these male shrine prostitutes. Well, he tore down the place, um, rendering it useless, and not only that, but the women were, were working in there to put the curtains up. So you could go behind the curtains, you see. So, so he just, he said, we're getting rid of all of that defilement. And he did. He tore it down. He just was pulverizing the place. A bottom line is clean, clean heart, clean life. Dirty heart, dirty life. That's really the bottom line. Eight and nine. Josiah brought all the priests from the towns of Judah And desecrated the high places uh, from Giba to Beersheba, where the priests had burned incense. He broke down the shrines at the gates, at the entrance to the gate of Joshua, the city governor, which is on the left of the city gate. Although the priests of the high places did not serve at the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, they ate unleavened bread with their fellow priests. Now, now I like this one here. Hearing God's word was one, two, doing God's word, three, disciplining God's leaders. Here's what they did. They took the Levites, who we would think of as pastors, who had compromised on the high places. So they were burning incense for the people in unbiblical ways. They had compromised and led people astray. So what they did was he gathered them together, brought, recalled them to Jerusalem, to be in the temple to have fellowship to restore them, but they were prohibited from continuing in full time ministry because they had led God's people astray. So it, it only made sense. But I really like that, listen, it's not about, you know, uh, disfellowshipping them in a sense, it was about uh, restoring them in relationship, but there were consequences for a spiritual compromise as a man of God. And so, you know, I I like what one writer said. A man who falls into immorality, a man of God or spiritual deception, who stumbles the people of God by his actions or teachings and is preaching again after just a short period of time is not an idea supported in either testaments old or new. You know, uh, these guys are done. They're, they are never going to minister at the altar. They'll, they'll never be on the platform, if, in our ways of thinking, biblically, because of what they did, the seriousness of it. And, and sometimes uh, you have to understand that when you want to do your thing, there's, there, you lose something that will never be restored to you. Uh, oftentimes, in God's grace and mercy, it's restorative. You can be restored. Now, salvation is one thing that we know that we never lose once we come to Christ because we didn't do anything to, to, to merit it in the first place. But you can ruin your career, your marriage, and, and things like, like a ministry. And that's it. It's called consequences. So I always caution, especially men, <laughs> right before they, you want to do your little thing, But you think, well, I can ask God to forgive me and things work out and all of that. You may lose something that you will never get back and these guys will never be on the platform again and rightfully so. Okay, moving on. 10 through 12. There's a lot of text tonight, but we're gonna do it. It's only eight o'clock, no worries. He desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, uh, so no one could use it to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire of Moloch. These are Jews. These are God's people. They loved Yahweh or Jehovah. And and they had gone so far as to to sacrifice their own kids uh, to this God that the Canaanites, God kicked out before they moved into the promised land. The reason he kicked them out is because they were doing things like that. And now they're doing it. And, and God promised in Deuteronomy, if you start doing what they did to deserve being dispossessed, I'll dispossess you. And <laughs> they're doing it. So, But now this guy's trying to restore. He removed from the entrance to the temple of the Lord the horses. Now another subject that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun god. Now they were in the court of the temple, these stallions near the room of an official named Nathan Melech. Josiah then burned the chariots dedicated to the sun. He pulled down the altars the kings of Judah had erected on the roof near the upper room of Ahaz and the altars Manasseh had built in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. He removed them from there, smashed them into pieces and threw them uh, through the rubble into the, that same place, the Kidron Valley. So number four, removing stumbling blocks. Is that to say that uh, he has to undo what his wicked father and grandfather put into place? And great-grandfather. He comes from a long line of uh, guys who just rebelled against the Lord. Now, Topheth uh, had to go. It was the place where they, they put their kids uh, on the altar um, sad I, I don't even want to talk about it I mean I could tell you more about it but I think you get the picture um, the site this is the site that uh, is still there it's just still, you can see where it was if you go to Israel uh, one writer said the ancients sacrificed their newly born infants and modern cultures prefer to sacrifice them in the first and second trimester so uh, that I took that from a commentary where the guy was saying, hey, listen, don't be so, oh, wow, how could they do something like that? And then live in a culture where 40 million babies, 40 million since Roe v. Wade, uh, that's a lot of babies. Um, so the stallions was the next thing. They parked the stallions. They had the finest horses imported from Egypt you know, dedicated to the sun god with the golden chariot. And he said, this is not going to work. So he got rid of the horses and he got rid of uh, the um, chariots as well. Um, and sadly, verse 12, you see, he's going to undo what his own father did and uh, what his own grandfather had done to not only, listen, to not only stumble the people, but he, what, what, what dad did and what grandpa did Right, Stumble, would have stumbled Josiah had he not had the gracious hand of God on his life. So one writer said, "Sometimes your heritage makes it easy on you to serve the Lord, and sometimes what you inherited presents a challenge. Either way, you know you're 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 responsible." Another quote, and we'll move on. When children of atheists, people, uh, parents who worship money. Uh, at the expense of their relationship with God, alcoholics, womenizers, or criminals, if these parents when they uh, when these children uh, turn to Christ and forsake evil patterns that have been passed along through the generations, they are doing as Josiah has done, breaking with a sinful past and creating hope for the next generation. Thirteen through fifteen. The king also desecrated, this guy's not going to give up, easy. I kept saying to myself, but wait, there's more. The king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on the south of the hill of corruption. They called, that's the hill where Solomon set up, uh, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the vile god of Moab, uh, for Molech, the detestable God of the people of Molech the guy they, the god they sacrificed the children to. Solomon set up the place. and they called that little hill there the hill of corruption. So he went to the, that place to take care of it, to, to defile it. Jo, Josiah smashed the sacred stones, sacred stones like you know, the magic stones. If you go touch it, you'll get good luck in the of that, cut down that, the, the ash, Asherah poles and covered the sites with human bones that would stop them. Even at the altar of Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam back 300 years ago, when it all started, that's what put Israel into a nosedive, right there. So he went to that site who had caused Israel to sin. Even that altar and high place he demolished. He went up there. It was still there after 300 years. Uh, he burned the high place and ground it into to powder and burned the Asherah pole as well. Um, so can you feel the passion of this guy? Number five, it talk about le- leaving no stone unturned. And so further reforms are made. It just didn't matter how sacred or how uh, cultural it was. It was going to go. If, if it had any association with, Defilement or evil or something that didn't honor the Lord or truth, uh, he was going to get rid of it. Um, One writer said, If the church today possessed just a small fraction of Josiah's passion to get rid of the sin in our lives and desire to please God like he did, what a holy and unblemished people we would be. All right, 16 through 18. then Josiah looked around, and when he saw the tombs that were there on the hillside, so he's at Bethel with that, that famous, infamous, I should say, uh, altar where the golden calves were. And by the way, you visit there when you go to Israel, and you see the, you can see the excavation place where that altar was. He had the bones removed from them and burned on the altar to defile it, in accordance with the word of the Lord, proclaimed by the man of God who foretold these things. The king asked, what what is that tomb I see? The men of the city said, it marks the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and pronounced against the altar of Bethel the very things you have done to it. Well, leave that alone, he said. Don't let anyone disturb his bones. So they spared his bones and those of the prophet who had come from uh, Samaria. So here you see a remarkable fulfillment of a prophecy. So while Josiah's at Bethel, where where Jeroboam had set up that first altar that sent Israel into the nosedive, he's there and he he wants to uh, defile that altar again with human bones. So he looks around and he sees tombs. So he says, great, I need some bones to put on this altar. And so he opens up some of the tombs and he starts to burn them. And then he sees kind of a, a special tomb, kind of prominent tomb. So he stops and he says, hey, what's that big fancy tomb about? And he calls in the locals and the locals say, hey, that's the tomb of this man of God who 300 years ago when Jeroboam set up this place, he put out his finger and he prophesied of the very thing that you're doing today by burning the priest's bones on this very altar. So I I think I have that for you. Do I have that little, the next slide? This is from 300 years earlier. (laughs) Check this out. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to, to that altar where this is the number one bad guy. In fact, God ascribes to him All the sin of 300 years says this guy is to blame, really, for a lot of it. Everybody, of course, is culpable for their own sinning, but this guy started it. So as Jeroboam was standing by that altar to make an offering, he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord, O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. That's 15 kings down 16 fathers had a son who had a father who had a son, who had 15 of them, 300 years. And he names them, will be born to the house of David. On you, he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here and human bones will be burned on you. Come on, he nailed it. He nailed it there. Now, I just want to say there are 300 prophecies plus about Christ's first coming. They're all fulfilled. Every last one of them. If you read the book of Matthew, you're going to read 60 times. This happened because it was written. And then an Old Testament verse. 60 times in Matthew's 28 chapters. You will find 60 hard references to tie it to a prophecy. That's just one gospel, right? All I want to say here is when I look at this, I go, Jesus not only is coming back, but everything the Bible says about that second coming and about the Lord is going to come to pass. It just is. Uh, you can't deny prophecy. So uh, he says, whose tomb is that? He says, oh, well, the guy who I don't know that that Josiah knew that he was mentioned by name. He just f- finds out, well, he's this guy prophesied what you are doing. But if he. If he does some research, he's going to find out that three hundred years before he was born, the Lord knew him and said, "You're going to, you're going to come and you're going to do this thing." And just pretty—can you imagine finding yourself written in the Bible three hundred years? That's that would bring a lot of confidence, I think. <laughs> So, so, uh, so he's going to leave that al- alone there. So, um, let's move on here. Nineteen through twenty. We're almost there. We're getting there. Is that that is that's it? Just as he had done in Bethel, jo- Josiah removed and defiled all the shrines at the high places, and the king kings of Israel had built in the towns of Samaria, he's still in the north, that had provoked the Lord to anger. Josiah slaughtered all the priests of those high places, we are in the Old Testament, on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he went back to Jerusalem. All right, well, that's a happy thought. Let me see here. Uh, so number seven, false prophets are destroyed. So um, before returning home, To the south. He's in the north where there is no Israel. There's just remnants of people. And you know who they are? They're the Assyrians. The Assyrians took out the Jews from the north and put in the Assyrians. Those priests are not Levites. They're Assyrian, pagan, kind of demonized kind of guys who are perverting the few Jews that are left. So there's judgment there and, and that's the end of that. Um, but then he goes home to Jerusalem where there is still a remnant uh, in Judah of the Jews. Uh, 21 through 23, the king gave this order to all the people. Now celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as as it is written in this book of the covenant. And not since the days of the judges, the days of Samuel, who led Israel, nor throughout the days of the kings of Israel, and the kings of Judah had any such Passover been observed. So it was quite a worship celebration. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Okay, so uh, number eight, the positive side of spiritual revival. So being a Christian, belonging to God, is not just about the things you stop doing and cut out. We've talked about this before. Uh, it's, a, it's a prevalent theme. It's just not about, well, I don't cuss and I don't have sex until I'm married or I've stopped lying or I don't get drunk. That doesn't define you because a lot of good atheists do exactly that. Um, What defines you is not what you're just cutting out and stop doing, but what you are starting to do as well. In fact, the starting is what gives you the strength to make those changes. And so uh, it's drawing near to God and worshiping him corporately uh, like they are doing here in a celebration called Passover. So they hadn't been having Passover or Jewish holidays. Passover, of course, was about putting the blood of the lamb on the doorpost so that when death came, it passed by all who were safe in the house. And of course, that stood for Jesus Christ. His blood. He's called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when death comes to the blood, the, the, the blood is applied to the doors of your heart. And when death comes to you, it passes over. Jesus died on Passover. What are the odds of that? He dies on Passover because the Passover lamb was 1,400 years a picture of Jesus, the true Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. So so what happened here? They, they had this great uh, celebration and um, um, a major Jewish holiday, but wait, there's more, 24 through 25. <laughs> Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and spiritists. He's not done yet. The household gods, the little God shelf, you know, The idols and all the other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. This he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had discovered in the temple. So he did this to comply with the words of the Bible. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength. And how do we know that? You know, Josiah could say, hey, listen, I love the Lord with all my heart, mind, and soul, and strength, right? Oh, He doesn't have to say a word. We just read a chapter. We know this guy is obsessively uh, devoted to the Lord and pleasing him. Uh, in accordance with the law, of the Mo- uh, law of Moses is just Deuteronomy, part of the Bible. And so here, you know, he, ob- he goes after the occult. So if you're taking notes, almost done here, second to last uh, point, really, uh, obliterating the occult. So he's determined to destroy anything demonic. Uh, the definition of occult, I went on uh, online dictionary, the supernatural, mystical spiritual practices, the source of which is secret or concealed. The word occult comes from a Latin word that means to conceal so that you don't know who it is speaking and the power behind the thing, right? So uh, uh, in other words, uh, he got busy again. He, he disconnected the psychic hotline, all right? He, they, they canceled the cable network. Uh, Hosting the mediums, you know, the Long Island medium. All of that stuff is sorcery, is astrology. All of that stuff uh, is called the occult. And the Bible speaks about fortune tellers by name, um, uh, psychics, um, mediums, spiritists, right? That's what it's talking about there. Um, yeah, so, I mean, Kmart wouldn't be selling the Ouija boards anymore and things like that. Um, the local witch doctor was out of business. Uh, you couldn't find your horoscope in the Jerusalem Post either. All of that stuff. So if, here's a quote, if only Westerners realized the powers that lurk behind such things that they deem ridiculous, fake, and scams, They may be all of that, but they are all of that and more. For it's there that the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms like to express themselves. So watch out for that. That's a quote from Ephesians chapter 6. Don't play around. Christians do. I, I know Christians who use psychics. They 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 talk to me about this, not the psychics. <laughs> I know Christians who think that sorcery and these kinds of things is just harmless. Just just be careful about those things. Uh, so he did as the Bible says. Uh, have nothing to do with them. So verse twenty five is a beautiful shout out there to Josiah's character and just said he really loved the lord with all his heart, soul, and strength. You know what I really like and the takeaway from that is that he knew the fate of Judah. Do you remember when he said, "Hey, he read the scroll of Deuteronomy. He sent uh, the guys to go seek out spiritual advice from somebody who had a word from the lord." And Huldah, and Huldah said, "Listen, Judah's doomed for She's going to be exiled and taken away. But look look at his action. (laughs) Knowing that there was a word from God, essentially, that said, you know what? Judah's not going to turn. It didn't cause him to give up. It was kind of like if Israel's going to go down in flames, then she's going to have to jump over my dead body trying to stop that from happening. I really... I really like that. I like that. I mean, we know that some people don't want to know about the Lord. We also are believers. It says, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John three thirty six says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son shall not see life. Now... That ought to get somebody stirred up enough to say kind of like, I know people are going to use their free will. But, you know, let, let it be over my dead body trying to pray for them and love them and live as an example so that nobody end up going to that bad place. At least in my sphere of influence, I can't stop everybody. But uh, I have a life. <laughs> you have a life and you have people around you and you can make a difference. You can help people like that. Just because we know that some bad things are coming doesn't mean that we just go, well, whatever. Everybody makes up their own mind. You know, he wasn't like that. I want to imitate that. I really like that. 26 and 27, we're finishing up. Nevertheless, the Lord didn't turn away from the heat of his fierce anger, which burned against Judah because of all that Manasseh, great-grandpa, had done to provoke him to anger, uh, and the people followed that. So the Lord said, I will remove Judah also from my presence, like like Israel, as I removed Israel, and I will reject Jerusalem, the city I chose, and this temple which I set there, my name uh, shall be. Now, um, a sad ending. The other sources let us know that the revival didn't last. So what happened to this beautiful a worship service, and a Passover that hadn't been like that for hundreds of years, what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. It's easy to serve God when the emotions are there, and the music, and inspiring words, and the, everybody's there, and there's food, and there's laughing, and there's joy, and you're, you're moved. It's easy to serve God when you're in church, and you're surrounded by Christians, and you know, that's what happened. But it was only kind of surface as soon as the emotion stopped, and the feelings got a little cold. And, and now they're not at church, and they're not in the presence, and all of that feeling. And now they're in the drudgery of life, and they're at work, and uh, it's a different story. Now they don't serve the Lord because spiritually immature people have to have. Feelings in order to do the right thing and to serve God, you need the feelings to be a good husband and to be a good wife. If you're spiritually immature, you have to depend only on emotions. And the only time you're nice and good and compliant is, is when you're getting your needs met and when you feel good and, you're, and you're, your emotions are riding high. And it's the same with Christianity. Listen, mature Christians just serve God whether they've got the the feelings or not. You do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, whether you feel like it or not. That's a mature person, not even a Christian. A mature person just does duty because that's the right thing to do. It's really nice when you feel like it. It's beautiful. I love feelings. They don't come a lot, especially when you're a guy. You just, we don't have them as much as the women do. Women just are loaded with feelings. (laughs) You know? Uh, (laughs) Don't get me started, but I'm going (laughs) to. So many marriage counseling times I think about when a woman will say, I just need my husband to open up and share some of his feelings. And I just have to tell her, Darling, that's, that's impossible. That's, near, that's nearly impossible. First of all, wh- when we have a feeling once in a while, it's hard, it's hard to figure out what it is exactly. <laughs> and, and then when we get, we kind of zone in on it, okay, I'm having a feeling here, and, and I have to identify it. It's really super hard to get it out and to explain what it is, you know? but but uh, ladies are wired a little bit different so you know listen guys and and yeah i know and all and everybody said amen i know i know i feel your pain well that's how that's how we all are so listen uh, that's that's the point here is j- just they let it all go because you know what the only thing that mattered is you know a surface deep uh, relationship now the good news is that Uh, They'll be back in the land as they already are. It took 2,530 years, but they're in the land. And Jesus comes back to a converted. But you know what? (laughs) They have suffered so much. Why? Because they will not open their hearts to their Messiah. Who has suffered more than them? Not back then and through the Second World War. And it gets worse. In the tribulation, the reason they turn to him finally is the whole world turns on them, and that's called Armageddon. And he opens the skies, and he returns to save them, but they're looking up, and they're calling his name Yeshua, Jesus. They get it, but uh, that's what they have to go through, it's amazing. Last little paragraph. We made it. As for the other events of Josiah's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? While Josiah was king, Pharaoh, Necho is his name, title, king of Egypt, went up to the Euphrates River to help the king of Assyria. King Josiah marched out to meet him in battle, but the Pharaoh faced him and killed him at Megiddo. Josiah's servants brought his body in a chariot from Megiddo, to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in the place of his father. So an interesting place to be killed. Let's wrap it up now. Um, here is how this Bible hero uh, ends. Now, Second Chronicles 35 gives us a little bit more detail. Here's what went on. Egypt's king called the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh wanted to go north and pass through Israel. And uh, to, he had business with the king of Assyria. And uh, he warned, so Josiah says, comes out to battle. He sends a messenger to Josiah, the Pharaoh does. says, listen, I have no beef with you at the moment. My problem is over here. I'm going over here. And the Lord has told me, don't mess with me or I'll kill you. That's what he said to him. But he didn't listen. Josiah did not listen. And Josiah disguised himself. He didn't pray about it. And he went into battle. And he said, you know, know, he faced him and Pharaoh killed him. And his body was brought back. Now, you know, the Lord had promised him you're not going to see the exile of Judah when Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar come in to take them and destroy the place. It's going to be it's going to be terrible. But the Lord promised him. Listen, you're you're not going to see that. So on one hand, uh, the Lord has kept His promise because now it's 23 years left on the time clock for Judah, and then Judah, all of Judah, will be taken and destroyed. Jerusalem will be leveled, and it'll be 70 years before the remnant of the Jews start to trickle back to build the temple again and the wall. Ezra's the temple. Nehemiah will be talking about the wall. But I want to say one last thing. Here's a picture of the place that he died. It's called the Valley of Megiddo. Another name for it is Armageddon. Now, very interesting Who is Josiah related to? He's related to Jesus. Jesus was born of a human being. He traces his lineage from King David. And this guy's in the kingly line. He is Jesus on his human side. Of course, Jesus is the God-man. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He does not have a human father. He's fully God and he's fully man. On the man side... He's related to Josiah. So Josiah, his great, 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 times 14 generations, uh, grandfather, in the flesh part, sign, dies here at Armageddon. And the king, the king, comes back, the final, last battle, to avenge not only Josiah's blood there, but he will avenge this is the battle between good and evil, ta-da, forever. So it happens here. But I just found it very interesting that here's a, a guy who gives his life and who God loves, you know, who's re, who's related uh, to in the line of Christ. And the King will come back to this very place and he'll he'll make it right. And uh, it, it's I mean, what he makes it right by opening the door to eternal life to anybody who wants to be saved. We come to him and are saved. Uh, And those who resist, they they end up resisting the Lord and they find themselves on the other end of that as God's enemy. And that's not a place that any of us want to be. All right, there are six sentences now. A takeaway from the chapter. Number one, here's my reflections from what we just talked about. When the word of God gets a hold of your heart, powerful things happen. Number two, love for God is expressed by passionate resolve against sin. Three, there are surely several areas in all of our lives that could use a good pulverizing. (laughs) Amen? Amen? Come on, we got stuff, right? There's a lot of stuff we could be, yeah, all right, you get it. Four, serving the Lord isn't defined only by what I do not do, but by the things I do. Five, mature Christians serve God faithfully with or without feelings. Six, when a bad guy tells you not to mess with him and God seems to agree, don't. (laughs) Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for helping us with such a long text tonight We thank you, Lord, for the truths that we found inside, and they're very relevant, even though they're from ancient times. We thank you for being alive, listening to us, and even being here with us. We ask your blessing now, in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.